here we go on a Monday night. Just past 7 o'clock. It's time for Iron Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira in studio with us. Plenty to talk about as we uh, kicked off the Major League Baseball playoff season. We got to see some quick results. <laughs> a couple of sweeps. Only one uh, went the distance. We'll talk all about that. It's going to be a fun show. But Ira, first and foremost, we always ask, where have you been? And not maybe the most uh, exciting week for you, but you're getting really geared up for next week. Yeah, probably tomorrow I'll be in L.A., go to go to see the Dodgers and the Padres. Then Penn State, Michigan. Uh, you talk about college football. I, I understand that, I, first of all, I don't think anyone loves more college football more than me. I was had eight, five screens up watching football <laughs> from 12 o'clock to midnight. I thought I think football's been great. I love it. But this week is going to be a great week in college football. Alabama, Tennessee, Penn State, Michigan. And this is Penn State team and a Michigan team that really played nobody all year. And now they're finally playing each other. So now we'll see what happens. So I think it's going to be an exciting week. We have uh, the 12 undefeated teams, six of them play. So TCU plays Oklahoma State. So we're going to get some uh, understanding where the college football and, you know, if these teams are good or bad or what, what, how, what happens. And uh, so and then we've got Steelers, Buccaneers in Pittsburgh on Sunday. So clearly that'll be Tom Brady's last time in Pittsburgh. It'll be cool that uh, you're going to have a busy week. That, that, that's for sure. Um, don't forget, you can follow Ira anywhere at Ira on Sports. Follow him across social media. You're going to get some great, uh, great pictures and videos coming up over the course of the next week. Justin Heyer joins us at 745. We've had him on before, and it seems like he's uh, moved up and he's not just covering the Dolphins now. He's on Pro Football uh, Report. Uh, going to have some, there's so much happening in pro, in pro Football this week in terms of the concussions. We'll go over some of it, but I'd like to get his uh, opinions on what happened with Matt Rule today in Carolina. We have a coach fired, first coach of the year fired, so a lot of things happening. That was something you, you wanted to bet the Steelers under. That was also a good bet on Matt Rule, first coach to be fired. Wasn't very high odds on that one, though. Um, so let's go back to it. The only series that went the distance in Major League Baseball was the Padres and the Mets. Everyone else was a sweep. So let's start there. Go to game one. And this is something where Max Scherzer has been pretty good for his career in, in the playoffs. And it, that's why they brought him in on this massive deal to get wins in games like this. And you knew right from the beginning, Ira, Max didn't have it. Well, he gave up four home runs and seven runs. He was booed off the mound in the fifth inning. It's the worst start in playoffs since 1939, Gene Thompson. And Cincinnati. <laughs> no idea. No, whatever. <laughs> he has signed, remember, he signed a four-year, $130 million contract. He pitched well this year. I mean, I was there. He was at, good. I was there at City Field when they beat the Yankees. You know, at the high water mark of the of the season when they're ten and a half over the Mets, over the Braves. Um, he struck out Judge what three times? Just an amazing performance on his part. But he did get hurt. You know, again, when he's with the Dodgers last year, he tired out at the end of the year. Even with the Nationals, he tired out at the end of the year. But he was on the disabled list twice, so he only had 150 innings pitched. But he just was terrible. The first inning, uh, Josh Bell had a two run home run. Grisham had a home run. Bell didn't even make good contact with that ball either. <laughs> Just kind of sail. Pro far to three run home run. Bashado had a home run. It was just unbelievable all the home runs. And I think this is uh, uh, th this is just you know one of his his one of his worst starts ever. He said people said oh he's hurt. He's not his spin velocity isn't great. He said I'm healthy. I just didn't pitch well. But then you Darvish. For who I saw you Darvish for the when he was pitching for the Dodgers in Game Seven against the Astros, totally blew it in that series. You know, yeah. he totally gave that in Game Seven. They said he tipped his pitches off, was knocked out of the inning. He looked tremendous. I mean, he was he, but he's been three and zero against the Mets this year with a zero point eight six ERA. The first inning was tough for him when he got out of that first inning. Then he just like coasted the rest of the way. Looked great and uh, was a, was a big win for the Padres to get that first win. Yeah. So coming into Game Two, it's make or break. And the Mets have, you know, who they consider one of their, you know, the greatest Mets pitchers of all time on the hill in Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, I mean, he pitched six innings. He didn't pitch great, but he went to Blake Snell. But six innings, five hits, two runs. I think the issue was then they got, uh, on, it was 2-2 two -two in the fifth, and, and uh, Alfonso hit a home run. Alonzo hit a home run. That was key, breaking that up 3-2. Then they bring Diaz, their closer, with the trumpets and everything in in the seventh inning. Seventh inning. And uh, ready to pitch. And he, I think he was going to pitch three innings if he had to. But it was neat about Diaz. I said this because I watched Mets a lot this year, and certainly in the Yankees series. Remember, they were bringing Diaz in in the eighth inning. A lot. And it was like he was becoming this eighth, ninth, and getting ready for the playoffs. So it wasn't like when they were... I was always critical when they used Mariana for the Yankees. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in the World Series, they brought him in. Like the time he blew the save against the Diamondbacks, he was brought in the inning early, mm -hmm. and then they brought him in. But in this case, Diaz has been prepared for that. But it, So it was big. He came in, saved it out. Uh, the Mets in the bottom of the seventh, they scored four runs so they could take they could take him. McNeil had a big hit, take him out of the game. The Diaz thing didn't bother me so much because, like you said, 
a lot of closers get very flustered not coming in in the ninth inning or coming in like you know with one out in the eighth. He's fantastic at it. So didn't worry me at all. I was just worried about him getting overused and not being available for game three if needed. So it was good that they got those runs and were able to take him out. And for people that aren't familiar with Blake Snell, he's the biggest Jekyll and Hyde on the planet. I mean, he can go out there and absolutely devastate or he can have five walks in the first inning and be down three runs. It's it's going to go either way. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him and his next start. Game three. Joe Musgrove. Line. Yeah, Joe Musgrove. I mean, despite Buck Showalter maybe thinking he cheated, Joe Musgrove came to play. Yeah, I mean, he had seven innings pitched, one hit, five strikeouts. It, someone said that under some metric, it was the best uh, clinching game. Now, this is the play. It's all weird. It's yeah. not, but it was the best. There was only one, one hit, seven innings. No other pitcher's ever done that. But he, look, what everyone added, he, he pitched great. Um, Bassett for the Mets wasn't great, gave up uh, four innings, three runs. Uh, and, and, the, and the Padres got timely, the hitting, the singles, all this was the one really hitting the home runs this game. And uh, when they finally brought Diaz in, I thought it was interesting. They brought Diaz in in the eighth, and uh, Soto goes up and hits the uh, hit off him, drives in two runs. So even their star Diaz, who was completely unhittable for like three months of this year, maybe yeah. the whole year. Might have been the best closer season ever. Yeah, gives that up. And so it was like, and boy, I mean, the, the Mets fans, first of all, let's talk about the Mets fans. First of all, they boo Scherzer, who is a mercenary, who really is a team, but I mean, the booing him off the mound on game one, when they might have needed him again, like that's pretty pathetic on them. They don't even sell out. I, I find it, you know, this is where I get about New York fans. They criticize everybody else. Like Atlanta fans, oh, they're not true sportsmen, they don't sell out. They, this game was not a sellout. This game was not a sellout in the city field. Like, I don't care. You had to buy this ticket or this expensive. This is New York. You got to sell a playoff game out. It's a, it's ridiculous. So what are you thinking here for uh, Dodgers and Padres? You think giving the Padres a chance? I don't think most people are. The Padres were 5-14 and 14 versus the Dodgers. They finished 22 games back. But the Dodgers have – their starting pitching is – questionable they really don't have a closer they have played well the Dodgers are you know seems to you know they played hot but who's boy, going game one um well they would they would Urias would go game yeah one. but um I think that it really was but the question is really I mean Padres everyone's not writing them off I think they can beat the Dodgers like I we're gonna go through all these games I really think besides the Braves and the Phils I really think in a five-game series, I don't care that they were four and fifteen, all this other stuff. This Padres team, when they made those big trades and bring Soto in, everyone was like, and then Tatis gets suspended. I mean, remember they brought Soto and Hater in you know, a week to, later, yeah. And then Tatis gets suspended for PEDs, and and then they're like, and then they didn't win, and they're like, this is a disaster. But then I think they've righted the ship, and we'll see what happens. But I, you know, it doesn't matter. The Dodgers finished twenty-two games ahead of them. That's how, why they had the playoff series the way it is. Well, they were up like thirteen or fifteen games at the time it wasn't like they were going to catch the Dodgers anyway it was just making a move for now right so you brought up the Phillies and I predicted a sweep here Ira I I really not that I think that the Phillies lineup is better than the Cardinals by any means but I think anytime you're going to put out Zach Wheeler and Aaron uh, Aaron Nola in back-to-back games you've got a chance to win both of those games let's go back to game one because this was a, a, a pitching duel definitely well that, this game one was crazy. I mean, Nola Wheeler pitched lights out, uh, and so did Quintana for the cards. Uh, but the cards were up 2-0, going with one out in the ninth inning, and the Phils score six runs. Like totally, Ryan Helsley, the closer, Phils closer, just blew just blew the game. Yeah, and. In St. Louis, you know, pack crowd, like they sell out everything. Their fans are into that. To see what happened there, that that's a that was a, that was devastating. I mean, when you saw that they just blew that, they're like, how can they win game two anyway? So that was just to give up six runs in the ninth inning with one out. And then going to game two, once again, we saw you know, that, that one-two punch of Nola and Wheeler, and Nola looked great. Yeah, Nola, six, six in the two-thirds inning, no runs. Harper has a home run, Schwarber sacrifice fly. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the weird thing about this game is that you had Wainwright, who probably is going to retire, um, Molina, who has announced he's retiring, in the bottom of the ninth, he got a hit, and in the bottom of the eighth, Pujols got a hit, and then they took him out of the game. So you saw, I mean, look, you... Th- Wainwright in the Hall of Fame, maybe, but certainly Pulos and Molina are first ballot by far Hall yeah, of Famers. No doubt about and it. how rare it is to see two first ballot Hall of Famers retire right there on that. I mean, that's the last game. So it fills win 2-0. And the cards for the series. I mean, look, they had three they had three runs. After they got the two early runs in game one, they really scored one in what 18 innings. So yeah. they deserve to win. That's a good debate, Wainwright Hall of Famer. I don't know how I how I go <laughs> on that one. Mariners, Blue Jays, Ira. And this is one I I, I thought the Blue Jays 
with this lineup, if they could get a little momentum, that that could be a team that could win the World Series. Mariners had different plans. Well, I think, look, the Seattle made that trade for Luis Castillo earlier in the year and from the, from the uh, Reds. And people were like wondering, what, what's Castillo? What kind of difference is he going to make on these teams? And, and, and the Yankees were looking at him. But he was ready for this game. I mean, the Mariners were a type of team that they brought him in and he was the right pitcher. Yeah. They needed a game one pitcher. And sometimes some of these teams like the Mariners, they just need that game. That They need that first starter to come in. And boy, did he pitch great. Seven. This is like we talk about um, the bullpen by committee. I mean, the starter by committee, no starter, you know, bullpen games. This was fun to see these games where the starters pitched so well and went deep. They didn't pull them in the set two, second or third innings. But seven and a third innings, no runs, five strikeouts. Um, he's the first pitcher in Seattle history to throw seven scoreless innings in the playoffs. And Toronto was the second highest scoring team in the AL. Um, but, you know, that was a big thing to go out in terms of, you know, the Seattle went out 3-0 in the first and, and you know, won the game 4-0. Let's, uh, let's go to game two here. And this was, you know, Robbie Ray is another one of these. He's the former AL Cy Young Award winner. But you really never know what you're getting from the guy night to night. Robbie Ray comes out and is terrible. And you're like, well, here's Toronto's chance. But wasn't the case. You know, I didn't hardly watch the game. It got so, you know, all the other games were on. So it was 8-1. You think it's over. And uh, Toronto's up 8-1. You're like, okay, now Sunday there's going to be a game three. And boy, Seattle. This just shows you. They came back, battled back in the game. And, uh, you know, and even it's in the seventh inning, the Blue Jays were up 9-5. But the Mariners scored uh, four runs in the eighth. And then in the ninth, they were able to take the lead. Uh, just to come back when they're down, you know, 8-1 and then 9-5. What a comeback. Just amazing. To win, to win a series uh, on the road. That's a dangerous team. Probably have the Rookie of the Year, too, and Julio Rodriguez. It'll be exciting to see them against Houston, Ira, and I think a lot of people are writing Seattle off. I don't know if I am. Well, you know, Seattle was 29-39 to 39 to start the year, but at the end, they were 61-33. and 33. They've been on fire, just as on fire as Houston has. Look, Houston has great starters, Verlander, Valdez, Garcia. I mean, they're loaded. You, they have experience. They have big hitters. you got to think Houston. And this one series... I think Houston will beat Seattle, but I agree. Seattle's hot under the theory that, boy, a team is hot. And we'll see how playing, you know, remember, some of these teams, you know, they're now they've been off. The question is how much yeah. time off being is okay. Everyone thought, oh, this is an advantage of the playoffs. We're going to give home field. Well, home field, three of the home field teams lost. So only one team won. Uh, so, you know, except Cleveland. So they're the only team that did win. Uh, the, the way teams uh, won. And then we'll see what happens now is this gap of this whole week off. I mean, this is the longest in the playoffs they've ever had. Usually it's it's like a one-game series yeah. and the wild card series. They've been off a whole week now. And will some of these teams, will the Yankees and the Astros and the Braves, how will they deal with this time off? 715, this is Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget, follow Ira on social media at Ira on Sports. Tampa and Cleveland, Ira, I knew Cleveland was, was a dangerous team. I don't necessarily love the pitching, but man, that lineup, they play as a team. Something we've seen a lot from the Rays in years past, but... Cleveland had what it takes, and it's, they might be a little exhausted, but that'll be game two. What happened in game one? Well, in game one, Cleveland Cleveland won 2-1. Shane Beaver, another great start. I mean, this is one thing. These starters have come out. These teams have come out and said, look, we're not going to rely on our bullpen so much. We're going to just pitch, pitch seven. He pitched great. Uh, and Jose Ramirez, their star. I mean, this is what you like to see in the playoffs. You want to see your best pitchers pitch great, and your stars hit big big hits. Yeah. And Ramirez, it's a two-run home run. And, uh, and Beaver had a great start, winning 2-1. And two hours and seven minutes one of the fastest games I could ever imagine I, I couldn't believe it. I thought it would be like I missed something or it was, <laughs> then game two a little bit longer than that Ira well it was 0-0 <laughs> zero, zero for 15 innings um, each team and then Gonzalez, uh, Gonzalez off Kluber um, hit a home run after fifth innings so considering Kluber you know, was a Cleveland Indian pitcher or Cleveland mm. whatever they call it one of their pitcher. greats yeah one of their great pitchers gave up a home run off Gonzalez uh, there was 39 strikeouts it was a 4 hour 57 minute, minute game but you always that's the advantage now this is when the game starts going over the extra innings the uh, home team I do think it's a huge advantage because to come up and just win the game it's like you know, the last licks you know all yeah. that thing it is an advantage that you, they get to hit to see what they need how many runs they need I mean again if it's the other way around the visiting team has a run in the top of the 15th you know that you can score two or one and then keep advancing I think it's an advantage and that's what happened to hit the home run game's over no and you're, and you're right in that sense because you can get a base hit and then you know try to get the guy to steal sack Sacrifice, just like we just need one type of thing. Whereas in the top of the inning, you don't know. So here we go. Yankees, my New York Yankees, going to face Cleveland. And I, I talked off air. I'm not really happy about this, Ira. Not, I don't think there's any walkovers in the playoffs, but 
this Cleveland team's good, and the Yankees are kind of coming in not with their best. The Yankees have a $254 million payroll. Cleveland has a $68 million payroll. Yankees only won, they won 99 games. Cleveland won 92. It's not like they won a million more games. But Indians have won 24 of their last 30 games. They're hot. They're definitely hot. They have starting pitching. The Yankees, I don't know what they have. They have Judge. <laughs> they really have. You have yeah, no we, idea what kind of their starting pitching is inconsistent. They have absolutely no relievers. Chapman, who was supposed to be one of their closers, whatever, was didn't even come to practice, was down in Florida, was down here in Florida, yeah. wasn't even there. At you, you just wonder about these Indians. And I, I want to tell you this. I, I think that the whole home run with the Judge thing, I think it took away. I, I think it's going to – and I, I think that there is an aspect of that that I think – it hurt. I mean, he did, got 62 in the next to last game of the season, and everyone's following it. But I do think there's someone said, well, it distracted them from the games, and it added this. But I, I just think it just took too much away from the game. I And look, the Yankees were giving up runs to the Pirates. I mean, I was at those games. The Orioles scored against the Pirates. Scored. I mean, this their pitching staff is terrible. They're terrible right now. Um, Garrett Cole is just awful. I mean, he could give up his 40 home runs. He could give us some more. I, it just the question is, can Cleveland score? But they have the pitching. I think Cleveland wins. Um, it's not going to surprise me at all. I won't ever say, you know, I'm not going to bet against him, but it's not going to surprise and me. And Terry Francona, their manager, I mean, look. Excellent coach. Totally should have stayed at Boston. That was ridiculous they got rid of him. He is taking a team with a $68 million payroll. They they, they train a little They don't want to win those. Like, lose. <laughs> we want you to lose. We're giving you no players. And he's still able to win. I mean, that's what, against Aaron Boone. I'm going to take Francona any day of the week on that And one. the Mets give up Andres Jimenez, who's now plays for Cleveland, obviously. And he's, you know, as I had a breakout year, looks like that move ended up working out for them, especially since they didn't want to pay Lindor. So Ira, me and you totally disagree on this. I'm sorry. Who are you giving the MVP to? It's Otani. I, you know, I know it's you crazy. Were, I know you're gonna. You're call. You're, you're, I know you're calling <laughs> in for mental health for me, but I know it's today's mental health day. But the point is, I just look. Otani had 28 starts. So he was 233 ERA. He was fourth in the league in ERA. 15 wins, fourth. 219 strikeouts. He was second in, with a WAR uh, wins again uh, over replacement. Uh, uh, he had 34 home runs, which is fourth in the league. 95 RBIs. 273 average. Fifth in slugging. This is ridiculous. This is not. This is Babe Ruth and him, and he's better than Babe Ruth. This is crazy numbers. I, look, Judge was nice. Judge had 62 home runs. When Judge looked like he was going to have 70, I could understand. He barely got 62. Schwarber ended with 46. Judge did not win the Triple Crown. He had a 311 average. He did cool down at the end. At 131 RBIs. I know he batted first, but with 175 strikeouts, look, it was a good year. Otani's year. 20 years from now, people are going to look at that like, what? I've never heard anything like this. But my argument is, if this is... if. That's how you're going to do it. Then Otani just wins every year. Yes, he, 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 I'm he giving could be twenty. You know, I don't 20 care. Ranked less and everything. He's still very valuable because he does both. So it's uh, either you just name it the Shohei Otani Award, or otherwise nobody else has a chance. This is maybe the you know the, one of the greatest single season hitting seasons ever. You have to give Aaron Judge the the, well, the you're M- gonna MVP. Win. You're going to win. I, I don't think Otani gets five votes for first. I, I, I think that if the I had a vote, I give. If I had a vote, I would give it to him. <laughs> I think. He, I think he, we had Jeff Fletcher on the show. He talked about it. He said. That he won the MVP last year. So this year is is even better than last year. But it's like, say, I had a quarterback who was a starting quarterback in the NFL who was really good at quarterback. Maybe he's not Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Uh, what, what name a quarterback we think is like? I don't Kirk know, Cousins. Kirk Cousins, and he also played defense. Yeah, like, he's a quarterback, too. and he's a quarterback <laughs> on the team. I mean, it's crazy. Like, there's a point where you had Jim Thorpe, we had David Marinus talk about Jim Thorpe. I mean, there is a point where you, if you're pitching and hitting, I think you have to always give it to him unless he has a terrible year. But look, it doesn't help his case that they didn't make the playoffs. It doesn't it, help his it, case. It, it doesn't help the team down the stretch like Judge did, then he's got a much better case. Okay, but this is what I said to you off the air. I hate when people talk about off the air, but I'll say this, <laughs> is that if Otani was on the Yankees, he'd win the MVP. It's You're not wrong. I mean, it, it's going to be looked at totally different. And maybe he's he on, might be. Maybe he might York. be on the Yankees. He might be on the Mets. He might. The fact is, Otani is pitching. The other night, I'm watching Judge hit his home runs, all whatever, and then I see Otani's pitching a no-hitter, and it's like 1.30 in the morning, and I go up and watch, turn the TV on, and he gives up a hit in the eighth inning. Yeah. And I'm thinking... When I did that, I'm like, he's the MVP. That was what clinched it for you. Yes, <laughs> Down exactly. the stretch. 722, I run Sports True Oldies Channel. Justin Heyer from Pro Football Network joins us at 745. College football, Larry, you said you were glued to the TV. Well, you're glued to five TVs for 12 hours. What was the theme here of, of your Saturday? My theme is that some of these big-name teams had tight games in the first half, and you look up and say, boy, that was a blowout. And really, the first half was a little tight, but then they just blew, totally blew the teams out. The other was that some of these teams, when the year started, were like top 12, like the Michigan States, the Oklahomas, and the Miami Hurricanes 
really are just floundering to no end with three losses, uh, you know, 500 below 500. Two of them got totally blown out this week. And uh, it was interesting. Interim coaches did very well. Georgia Tech uh, won over Duke. Their Brent Key replaced Jeff Collins this year. Nebraska beat Rutgers. Mickey Joseph replaced Scott Frost. And Wisconsin killed Northwestern. Jim Leonard replaced Paul Chris. It's interesting that that happened. I know Tepper, David Tepper, who is a big college football fan also besides a Pro Bowl fan, that's why maybe Rule was fired. I mean, there was this point, point is that they made these colleges, made these moves in the year, and these interim coaches are winning. So maybe it's like, you know what, make a change. He's like, oh, I can't make it in football. You can't turn on. Now, Philly's made a change in there. Rob Thompson, they just mm-hmm. gave him a perm. What was he, an interim coach the rest of the year when he took the team? <laughs> finally made him, gave him a two-year contract. Wow, okay, you win the playoffs. Where, um, just side note, where do you think Rule ends up? His phone's got to be ringing already from colleges. I I think Oklahoma would be the, the yeah, case. Yeah, that makes sense. The Big 12, he was a star at Baylor. Now, Venables, it, it, I can't imagine a program. He, they look so bad. We'll talk about the game, 48 to nothing. Well, you know what? I'll jump to that game. It was okay. 48. We don't need to cover it when we start talking about football. 48 nothing. It was unbelievable. It was the Red River shootout. shootout. Um, four, I mean, 49 nothing. And remember, Texas was only a 7.5 point favorite. And when this year started, they were like, Oklahoma was like an 8 point favorite. If you bet before, uh, it was imba- Oklahoma had no quarterback. Their quarterback, Brent Gabriel, was hurt. They really had no backup quarterback. Uh, it was 28 nothing at halftime, and it was just unbelievable. I mean, there was a point where you know Texas had 600 yards, 300 yards rushing, 300 yards passing. Oklahoma only had 200. This game was a t- Oklahoma's terrible. They can't play. Venables from Clemson was this great defensive mind. He can't do de- defense, no offense. This team is off the rails. And I'll tell you what, this week, Oklahoma plays Kansas. I think Kansas beats them. I don't care if Jalen Daniels is a quarterback or not, but Oklahoma has just totally fallen off, and they might just fire Venables after this year. <laughs> um, all right, Texas A&M and Alabama. And is there a harder team to, to judge what you're going to see week to week than Texas A&M? I know Bryce Young didn't play, but Alabama still has you know 12 NFL players on it. This game was too close for comfort for, for Crimson Tide fans. Oh, my God. You see, I'm decked out in Alabama. <laughs> I, you know, I love the I love Penn State, of course, on my team, but I love Bama. They were 24.5-point favorites, but I I was nervous about this one, and it was for Jalen Milrow, who we had uh, uh, Tider Insider on, Rodney on, talk mm. about how great he is, but boy, he turned the ball over, had two fumbles, had an interception, just the mistakes that Alabama was making, um, they were up 24-14, uh, but they just kept fumbling, <laughs> again, A&M scores make it 24-17, and then in the fourth quarter, all Alabama did was they missed two field goals. They had a chance to put this game totally out of hand. They missed two feet. Two feet one, was a, one was like a 35-yard field goal. And then it was still it was kept at seven. Then A&M comes down. They convert a first down. Then a fourth and eight and two false starts. They made a field goal, made it 24-20. And then Alabama had the ball. Just like get a first down. They couldn't get a first down. Texas get, A&M gets ball back. And they go down there onto the two-yard line with a chance. I mean, I, at that point, I thought the game's over. But it, they, the Alabama defense came, stopped them. And uh, and held on to win, but it was you know twenty four twenty, but it was as close as you could possibly imagine. A and M was on the doorstep to victory, and when you're a twenty four and a half point underdog, but I just I, I love when Alabama loses. I don't know why I dislike this team, but I just I've got too many. Uh, friends that are big fans of theirs out of nowhere, you know, the last eight years. So I'm always rooting against them. This one was very too close for comfort for them. One team that you're loving, though, Ira, is Georgia, and they laid the smackdown on Auburn. Well, this is one of those things where Auburn is terrible. I remember, I was at Auburn. I saw the game. Uh, Auburn this year is just, I mean, Brian Harson. if he saw Matt Rule getting fired, I mean, that could be another place where Matt Rule goes yeah. to. But um, Georgia almost lost to Missouri last week. And this game was a little tight in the beginning, but then it was like, suddenly it became like, then they were outscored him 35-3, to uh, made it 42-10. You know, it was just a destruction. Stetson Bennett had a 64-yard touchdown run. Auburn doesn't, I mean, they, they tried for like a quarter and a half and said, oh, we don't want to play anymore. Um, <laughs> but Auburn is a disaster, and Georgia rules. Now, Georgia is easy. They Vanderbilt next week. Then they have a bye. And then they and then they play and then finally they play at Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky. But uh, Auburn has been outscored 125 and 31 in the second half in their last nine games. 125 and 31. This is Auburn, unbelievable. So let's go to Ohio State, another team that you feel really good about. And I think you've been saying that you think C.J. Stroud is going to be the, the number one quarterback taken, right? And he's solidifying his case, if not. I mean, he they they scored a touchdown in the second, and then first of all, they're the first Big Ten team to score 45 points. 
hosted five straight games since Michigan in 1947. Um, they went up 7-0. Stroud threw a pick six. I couldn't believe it was a pick six. Michigan State, like, what, how'd that happen? <laughs> Next play, throws a 60-yard pass. Then he throws another and another and another. It's 35-13. Game's over. I, unbelievable. They score every time they touch. They've been in the red zone 28 times, 26 touchdowns. This team is loaded. And they had 648, 614 total yards to 202 for Michigan State. They had 237 rush guards, seven for Michigan State. This is what I'm saying about this Ohio State team. This is not just an explosive offense. They have the defense, too. They, this team is great. And we got to see if they're going to get tested. And they're not going to get tested until they play Penn State at Penn State in three weeks in, in Michigan. So what uh, happened with Michigan and Indiana? Well, it's sort of similar to the uh, to the uh, Georgia game in terms of having it was ten ten at the first half against Indiana, which was a terrible terrible team. And uh, at the end of the first half, and then they ended up Blake Corum, who's a good running back, had twenty five carries, one hundred twenty four yards. He's really running well, and the defense exerted themselves. So they ended up winning thirty one ten. So the score looks like wow, Michigan won thirty one ten. But I watched the whole game. Michigan did not look that good in that game. But I think they were getting ready for Penn State this week, which I'll be game I'll be at in the big house. I can't wait to be there. This is going to be great. So let's talk about Clemson and Boston College. I know BC is no world beater, but it looks like DJU is starting to figure this out here. And right, right. this was another, again, you know, my theme. 10-3 at half. I mean, it's like you go look at the final score and you're like, oh, it was uh, 31-3. Boy, Clemson, they covered. It was, But it was 10-3 at half. They looked terrible. And then they just turned it on. These teams make the adjustments I, I, and just came out. And he, he was great. 230 yards, three touchdowns, 69 yards rushing. And Boston College just couldn't do anything. Let's go over to the Pac-12 where you USC, they're doing everything right so far. Maybe not blowing teams out, but they're winning games. I, I just love I just love this whole UCLA, UCLA thing. This is just exciting. I mean, I was at the game last year when USC got uh, uh, blown out by UCLA. UCLA won by like 30 points, and they fired Chip Helton like right after that. And uh, but it was, and they bring in Lincoln Riley. And what, and this is the difference in college football right now is that you can bring a coach in, and he's bringing, he brought, he said, I coach at Oklahoma. I'm bringing Cowboys as my quarterback. I'm bringing Jordan Allison from uh, from Pitt. I'm going to take whoever I want. Like this is, this is not even the NFL. Like this is, I'm. I'm going to change my roster. I'm bringing whoever they it's want. And that's the question with Oklahoma. It's like, not, you're, you can bring players in, but also you can lose them. Like now people are looking at this Oklahoma team like, you're terrible. You're going to be losing all these teams. Like suddenly all these players can transfer out immediately and uh, they beat you at Washington State. Uh, Travis Dye had a good running day, but the USC defense played great. This is just setting it up. And then just to jump ahead to, U- to UCLA, Utah, People liked Utah in that game. Um, UCLA was only like a two-point favorite. They won 42-32. Again, Chip Kelly, he was almost run out of town in UCLA. He was, I remember, Oregon, big star, then it failed at Eagles, failed at San Francisco. This is the whole Matt Rule thing, being you know a failure in the pros, but then coming back. And But he's been here since 2018. But if you can watch UCLA play, watch Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He is super exciting. And the running back, Zach Sarbanjo, at a 200 yards rushing, he's so fun to watch. That people, He's fast, he's strong, and everybody bounces off him when he runs. I love it. And uh, now UCLA has won nine straight games, the longest streak in like 25 years. Just setting up for, I think it's like in a month. I hope I'm going to be in LA for that game, the UCLA-USC game. (laughs) So one of the most anticipated games of the weekend is going to be Tennessee taking on LSU. And I I was going to school in Tennessee when UT won the Fiesta Bowl, T. Martin, they had Peyton Manning. And this team's been bad since then. (laughs) Is is it time to say that Tennessee's a real team? This team will be in the playoff? I think we might be able to. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Hold it. Hold the horses. We got (laughs) next three, next three weeks are going to be the, it really in the last 25 years is going to be the most important three weeks in the history of the, maybe the state of Tennessee. They play Alabama next week in in Tennessee. I was at an Alabama-Tennessee game. Uh, Kenny Chesney was there. He was singing at halftime. When he came out, the, t- the Tennessee players came, and they it was he Schiller was the quarterback. They put him on they put him on his shoulders. Like Chesney was singing, and the play, team ran out, and they put him on. His, it was one of the greatest environments I've ever been in. This place is going to go crazy. I can't believe Alabama's a seven point favorite because I really think Tennessee's looking great. Hendon Hooker, if you if you watch the game, because he's playing, he could win the Heisman. He wins this game. He's he's a front runner for the Heisman. Two hundred thirty nine yards. Two touchdowns. Um, LSU, they go to LSU, who's actually, and they just blow them out, 40-13. to 13. Um, I, Interesting about Tennessee, they could never got, can't get it right on the coaches. Get, since Phil Former left, it's been a mess, yeah. mess, mess. They hired Josh Heupel, who was an Oklahoma quarterback, Heisman Trophy candidate, all this other stuff. They hire him. Remember, he was a Central Florida. He went there. He's been super successful. Look at Nebraska. They hired Scott Frost. He was a Nebraska, you know, Nebraska star quarterback, Central Florida coach, great Central Florida mm-hmm. coach, and he's been a disaster fired. It just won, you, know, you hired the wrong guy, really. And you wonder if Hypo would leave Tennessee to go to 
Oklahoma. I said, no way. He's never going back to Oklahoma. I mean, he's staying at Tennessee after he built this program for that. Ole Miss versus Vanderbilt. Huge win for Ole Miss, but still, who lets up 28 points to Vanderbilt? <laughs> I know that, but I tell you what, they're 6-0. <laughs> and We're just mentioning some of these teams because Tennessee, Ole Miss, Alabama, Georgia, those are the four SEC teams that are undefeated. And uh, and then the other SEC game was that Florida uh, won 24-17 over Missouri. Florida's 4-2. and two. Look, Missouri played so well against Georgia, and then they just didn't really have it for Florida. And South Carolina, they're 4-2, and two, and Kentucky's 4-2. and two. They beat Kentucky 24-14, but no Will Levis in that game. But the SEC definitely has those top four and they're going to be playing each other so that's weird you know how the schedule works Tennessee is in the east but they're going to be playing both Alabama they play uh, Georgia which is in their you know their side but then two weeks but they play Alabama this week 732 it's Ira on sports you're listening to the true oldies channel I'm Mike Balsamo follow Ira across social media at Ira on sports Miami uh, what can we say? Well, we'll start with the, Florida State first. What can we say about this team because this was a team that looked out of the gate like they might be a contender Florida State was up 17-3. I was watching this whole game. Uh, they NC State was driving, and their co- their star quarterback Leary was knocked out of the game. I thought it was a bad hit too. I thought he was. It was. I thought he should. The should have been penalty and everything. But he was. He was hurt. Um, and then they called a penalty on that play, but Leary was knocked out. And they bring in their backup is Jack Chambers, who's a walk-on from Charleston Southern. And all he did was lead NC State for to three different three field goals. They take the lead. Florida State gets the ball back, and uh, Travis, their quarterback, throws an interception. NC State goes three and out. FCSU gets the ball back, so they have a chance. They're driving down, so they have they're in field goal range. This is worse than we saw in the NFL in some of these games. What like when uh, Russell Wilson threw the interception in this case, they're in field goal range to win the game. He had no need to throw the ball in the end zone at all, and he throws the ball and it gets intercepted, and they lose 19-17. I mean, huge win for NC State. Terrible loss for Florida for uh, for Florida State. So Miami facing UNC, and North Carolina's been a little bit of a thorn in the side of, of Miami over the past five or six years, but I don't think anybody anticipated this happening. This was a disaster. Miami was favored by four. They ended up losing 27-24. They were lucky. They, they were losing this game. They, they scored, and they almost got onside kick, came back. Tyler Van Dyke had the second largest, uh, one of the best in terms of yards, almost 500 yards, which is second. These are all the great Miami quarterbacks, but they didn't throw the ball as much. And that old Miami yeah. teams were up by so many points, they would be, you know, the, the, they would be yeah, on they didn't need Bernie to. Kosar, uh, you know, he was resting by the third mm-hmm. quarter most of the games. But, you know, Miami got 43 yards rushing. They really couldn't do anything on the ground. This is, it's, at this point now, Miami, does, they have to win these games. They're two and three. They just lost to North Carolina at home. That's all it is. So, as much as we say, you know, what, first of all, this is, he's two and three. This is a team that was, they've now lost three games in a row. They've, they're gone two and three. They've lost three games in a row. And in the last three games against Middle Tennessee State, Texas A&M, and UNC, they haven't never led. So they've gone three games, and against, two of the games of UNC and Middle Tennessee State. And what was it? They opened up against like Bethune-Cookman, like teams that that's that's one of the wins on the on the resume there. Texas and Oklahoma, we talked about it already. This was not something anybody anticipated. But TCU and Kansas, what happened here? Oh well, you know, I game day was at Kansas. Kansas, like it was like it's like if you can turn Vanderbilt around, like make him a coach. So Leopold, Luke Leopold is the coach at Kansas. Done a great job, and I felt so bad for him. He lost his uh, Jalen Daniels is their star quarterback. He gets knocked out of the game with an injury, and they hung in the game. It was back and forth, back and forth. Max Dugan is quarterback for TCU. just tremendous to, to a quarterback watching him pl- throw the ball around. It just it was an exciting game. They ended up winning, but I like the fact that I mean, it was only 38-31, and, t- and Kansas played their hearts out. You wondered if, if uh, Daniels would have stayed in this game. Quinton Johnson uh, had 14 catches for 206 yards for TCU, uh, but this is now TCU this week plays um, Oklahoma State. The two undefeated Big 12 teams play each other, so that's why it's exciting for that game. Well, let's talk about Oklahoma State, what happened with them. But, you know, they're, they're ranked number seven in the country. You know, they're, again, they're, these teams are undefeated. They're they're undefeated. Spencer Sanders is. It seemed like he's you know he's like a Kenny Pickett. He's been there like for six years. Um, but a but a big win to them for Texas Tech. Texas Tech has played well this year. But uh, that game again, if you're coming from the Big Twelve or the ACC, you have a loss. You have no chance. So, so you have to be undefeated. The only way you're going to get in the conversation for the four team playoff is to be undefeated. So that's why these games matter so much. What are we watching next week? 
well, it's just a huge week. I mean, there's Penn State at Michigan. Michigan's favored by seven and a half. Bama's at Tennessee. Bama's favored by seven and a half, which I think is crazy. Bryce Young, it looks like, will play in that game. Oklahoma State at TCU. TCU's favored by three and a half. And then USC is at Utah. Utah is favored in that game by three, which is amazing. And then Clemson is at Florida State. You talk about a big game for Florida State. And remember, during the COVID, remember Clemson was coming to Florida State. Florida State said, we can't play, then not play. Clemson showed up, then they had to go back. There's a lot of bad blood between Clemson and Florida State. Um, NC State's at Syracuse. You're like, why are you at Syracuse? Syracuse had the weakest schedule of all time, but they're undefeated. <laughs> but we'll see. I think NC State uh, wins that. We talked about Kansas, Oklahoma. And then uh, an interesting game is Mississippi State at Kentucky. Uh, this is a chance for Kentucky to see. They're both going to be ranked. So see what happens in that game. 737, Ira on sports. Just about eight minutes or so. Justin Heyer from Pro Football Network joins us. But let's talk some NFL, Ira. And I, I still don't think the Jets are good. And I think that the Jets and their fan base think they're really good. They crushed Miami, but this was a depleted Miami team who also lost their backup quarterback on the first play. I don't know what to take away from this game. Well, I take away two things. First of all, the first play of the game, Bridgewater gets a safety because he's intentional grounding the end zone. He hits his, gets knocked down, and and he seemed like he was fine. But now with the, it seems like now the Dolphin quarterbacks are going to be under such scrutiny that if their head ever hits the ground, that the spotter is going to say take him out. So it's they're always going to err on the side of caution. So even when two, this is my question for Miami: Is that are they going to keep quarterbacks? Because every time ones get sacked, they're going to maybe be out of the game. Mm-hmm. And to me, this was the story. No one talked about this. They talked about the Tom Brady play left and right, but this was a story. Because because you're wondering, how can Miami keep playing if they're under this standard that is like their quarterbacks are going to get taken out all the time? Because they really put Skylar Thompson, who played okay. But remember, he's their third string quarterback in this game. And I got to give, again, Miami credit. They were they were they got blown out. But they were up night. It was it was not, it started second half. It was down 19-17. Jets were stopped on fourth down. And the Dolphins had a chance to take the lead 20-19. to They missed a, a field goal. Jets went down and scored. Scott Thompson fumbled the ball. All those things. But it was closer. I mean, they were in the game. But I think the fact is, now, look, you know, to knock, if Bridgewater can't stay in the game more than one play, like when Tua comes back, the moment he gets hit, they're going to take him out of the game again. This is a question for the Dolphins. I didn't see this in the other games in terms of pulling, you know, the concussion people out there. But you got to think that the Miami quarterbacks, Tua and Bridgewater now, are going to be such scrutiny. It's, it's, it's going to be a problem for them going forward. I did see an interesting stat. So after the, the Tua um, issue last Thursday night, on Sunday, 15 players left games with head-related injuries. Only one returned. 14 guys stayed out for the rest of the game. So that could be a you know a, a trend that we're going to see in the NFL. Tom Brady's all over social media right now, not for good reasons. And you got to think there's a lot going through his head. And people are saying, oh, Tampa's going to crush Atlanta. I thought Atlanta had a real shot in this game, and it turned out they kind of did. Well, I, I had three games on. Like, usually I go to sports bar if I'm not at a game. But I went and I stayed in, in my apartment, and I wanted to watch the Steelers. So I wanted to see what exactly Kenny Pickett is. Exactly first star. what happened. I was, yeah. Yeah, so I had that on, and then I had three. So I had my NFL ticket with that on, and I had then the Miami game, and I had the Tampa Bay game on. So I watched the whole Tampa game on. There's been so much talk about this game, but I don't think anybody watched the game because the fact is, is that, look, it was over. I mean, Tampa was up 21-0. They were cruising. It should have been 40-0. Mariota and Atlanta could not move the ball. Kyle Pitts is out. I mean, it was after three quarters. Brady had 350 yards passing. I mean, it was just, it was the game was all over. But then under three straight possessions, after they went up 21-0, Bucks went three plays, six yards, a minute 42. Three plays, six yards, 42 seconds. And three plays, three yards, 36 seconds. If if Tampa can't run the ball, this is going to happen because they got be able to run the ball to, to move the, this chains a little bit. Atlanta scores make it 21-15. Atlanta scored made it once, tw- 21-7, then 21-15 with 439 left. Tampa Bay gets the ball. Now they're driving down and first of all, it was like a third down. There was a holding penalty on Atlanta so that gives them another first down. And then the big play is that Brady is on third down is sacked by Jared of Atlanta. Thrown to the ground and the question is, was it a throw? Was it, was it should they call it uh, unsportsmanlike conduct? It was uh, excessive force against the quarterback and it looked like, of course, a tackle. And I'm going to say yes, but if they looked at the Tua, this was exactly what the Tua play was. And I said on the Tua play, which was not called a penalty, the second concussion, well, first concussion, or the first concussion, really, was the fact is that when he was thrown to the ground, it was an extra throw. And I think that the league, I saw that they don't want this. So I'm not surprised about the call. I think if they said, oh, if there was a spotter in the sky, they would have changed the penalty. I go, no, they wouldn't have. They would have called that penalty because they are very careful now. They do not want the quarterbacks getting thrown. You can tackle them. You can knock them. You can whatever. But we, we've seen this. When, when the quarterbacks, when Carson Palmer and Brady got hit in the knee, mm-hmm. you suddenly, anytime you touched a quarterback in the feet, like around below, the, oh, they're going to call that penalty. When you saw some, when Ryan Shazier got a penalty for targeting when he got paralyzed with his helmet on that on the Thursday night game, every 
tack what seemed like was getting penalized in that. So I'm not surprised by the call. Like I'm the, might be the only one in America, and I'm a Brady fan, I'm a Buck fan, I, all this other stuff. But I just didn't think it was that crazy call. Also, after it, it wasn't like the final play of the game. It was the worst play of all time because after the play was done, they still had to get another first down. It was there was still for three and a half minutes to go in the game. So it wasn't like crazy. I think people who made comments just said, "Oh, Brady play controversy. Let's talk about it." No, it's it's definitely overhyped. Far from the worst call of all time, or things like that. We're hearing. So you mentioned your fandom, and you found this stat. And like, if you you know, if you ask me, Mike, when's the last time Pittsburgh was a fourteen and a half point dog? I would have said, I don't know, maybe like the late nineties, early two thousands. What was the year, Ira? Nineteen sixty nine. Nineteen sixty nine. It goes to show how good they've been for a long time. But tell us about this game. And kind they of don't. Unremarkable and they don't cover. Picking. I mean, it's uh, so the, so they Buffalo gets the ball on the two yard line because they screw up the kickoff. They get the ball third play, I believe, and, right? and then they throw a ninety eight yard touchdown yeah. pass. Then the Steelers on the kickoff don't even recover the kickoff. They muff it. The Buffalo then scores it. They get a field. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been a touchdown. But then the uh, then Buffalo's like, oh, okay, let's get the ball back. Allen throws to Davis. Again, 62 yards touchdown where he just takes the ball from Megan Fitzpatrick. I mean, it was 31-3 at halftime. Josh Allen threw for 348 yards. I mean, there's quarterbacks in this league. We could add up quarterbacks all over. We seven, eight quarterbacks that haven't thrown for 350 in the whole first half. It was unbelievable. Um, I just, Kenny Pickett, I don't know what to say about it. I'm not, people like, I mean, Tony Romo was doing the game on CBS. Like, oh, Kenny Pickett's awesome. He's tremendous. He's this and that. Wasn't that, that impressive. I mean, stupid throws. He has wide receivers in terms of Pickens. Uh, Looks like he's getting a report. Johnson, with Clay, yeah, that's the one. But uh, Claypool, I mean, the one interception was so bad. Claypool, I, Chase Claypool ran the worst route, and, and Romo pointed out he just didn't go to the ball, and that's why he's not going to be a. He's talented, but not great. Najee Harris rushed for twenty yards, but it was like the worst loss for the Steelers. Lost fifty-one nothing to Cleveland in nineteen eighty-nine. So it's been thirty-three years since they lost like that. Pickett threw for three hundred twenty-seven yards, one interception. But look, the Steelers now are one and four. They have. Three at Tampa, they have at Philadelphia and at Miami. They have two games of both. But this team is going to win three, four games. I mean, they're they and Carolina are going to be in running for the the pick. And this is what's good though. Let Pickett play. If he's good enough, he's quarterback. If he's not, the Steelers can draft either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. How about my New York Football Giants, Ira? Nobody saw this coming. I can't tell if the Giants are good if they're just well-coached and don't make dumb mistakes, or if the Packers in this situation are bad, because I think it's a little bit of, of all three. So these England games and Germany games, usually the fans are all dressed. People are just like, if they're fans of Steelers, like, I would show up at the game, even though whoever's playing, I'll wear it. But they were Packer fans. It looked like a bowl game. Packer fans and Giant fans. I've never seen the stadium as a Tottenham. They sounded like soccer fans. They were loud. Um, Goodall had even talked about it. Roger Goodall, the commissioner of the NFL, talked about having a, a division in Europe. So people are getting really excited. I mean, it was totally solid. The, the, the ticket price was seven eight hundred dollars to go to the game. It was so high. Green Bay was up 20 to 10 at half, and then they just did nothing the second half. I mean, literally nothing They to the whole second half. And the Giants, that's how they hang in the game. Barkley, Saquon Barkley, run after run, carrying the ball. I mean, they had, they had uh, one drop play drive, 11 play uh, drive. Uh, they got a field goal. Then they went on a 15 play, 91 yard drive in eight minutes to make it 20-20. Green Bay punts. Giants scored a touchdown, made it 27-20. Then the Packers had this long drive at the end. Oh, whatever. Finally there. They're on the they're on the first down and 10 on the Giants 15, two runs, they had a third and one on the Giants six. And can you believe that Aaron Rodgers got his ball knocked down twice? I mean, this reminds you, remember and they were close. <laughs> remember Packers against the Bucks when they said, oh my God, let Aaron Rodgers throw the ball, don't kick the field goal. That was so stupid that Matt LaFleur said. But they go, right, he got, this is like a high school play. This is Aaron Rodgers, you're paying him $50 million a year to have his ball knocked down twice, trying to throw the ball in the end zone on third down and fourth and one. So. Obviously, being a Giants fan, I see this game early, and all I'm thinking, Ira, is, you know, can the Super Bowl champion Rams beat Dallas to, to you know, let us move up a game? Wasn't the case. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I do believe we have on uh, Justin Heyer on the line from Pro Football Network. Justin, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us on Iron Sports. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Well, Justin, I guess the one thing I, I know that you're you're in, in Carolina right now, so there was a, the first firing of the year. I'm assuming there's going to be many, many more going forward. But was Matt Rule? Um, he, of course, to get fired, he was fired, and with four years and forty-two million dollars left in the so when you're owed forty-two million, you get fired, then they really don't want you. Talk a little about what happened in Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people coming into the season certainly uh, had Matt Rule on the hot seat, so to speak, of coaches who could be fired, just based on the record that he had coming into the season and the fact that the situation with regards to the roster was not necessarily conducive for quite a bit of winning. So not a shock there, I'd say, by any means. Um, but like you said, certainly the first of the season, and uh, wouldn't be surprised if there's, there's more to come within 
the next month or two, depending on how the season goes for some of the other uh, coaches on the hot seat. Well, we were going to talk about, we're just talking about the uh, Cowboys and the Rams game. You got to question what's happening to the Rams. I mean, even the even the Bengals too. I mean, the two teams that we saw a few months ago in the Super Bowl, you know, are both uh, two and three, both struggling. Uh, seem to not have, and their offenses, which was the strength of their team, are just, you know, the Rams yesterday looked, you know, scored ten points, looked pathetic out there. Yeah, you know, you could call it a Super Bowl hangover. You could chalk it up to Matthew Stafford's elbow coming into the season, which, uh, you know, obviously was the talk of the town in L.A. going into training camp with that elbow issues happening. You could talk, chalk it up to Allen Robinson, not necessarily integrating into that offense the way they hoped. But you're right. There are quite a few concerning things going on with that Rams team, the ones they listed up there for sure. The offensive line not necessarily performing the way they'd like to. All of that said... I'm never counting out Sean McVay. I'm never counting out him and his coaching staff in terms of fixing things and getting the season turned around, even on offense with the warning signs there, but not the start to the season that you would have hoped for defending that Super Bowl crown. So I know you're in Carol in the Carolinas right now in Durham, but we're down here in Miami. I know you covered the, Finn, the Dolphins for a while for Finn Insider. Uh, the question is, it seems nationally everyone's bashing Mike. I mean, Mike McDaniel two weeks ago, three weeks ago was one of the, was the coach of the year candidate. Now he's everyone can't stand him nationally. But I see a lot of local Dolphin fans that are excited with him. I mean, he the, he's got his quarterback knocked out in back to back weeks, and his teams have stayed in the game, tried to. I mean, especially in this week, at least for the first half. What's your sense of what's going to happen? Where's this Dolphin team now that they've had? I mean, I have never seen anything like this to have two quarterbacks knocked out so early in these games, back to back. Where do you think? How do you think Mike Daniel holds this team together, and where do they go from here? Yeah, at this point, the honeymoon period that he was having over those first few weeks it seems to be coming to a, a swift end. But you gotta you gotta give him credit where credit is due for at least keeping this team competitive given all the adversity that they faced. They were going into the final ten minutes of that Jets game down two points and in position to take the lead with a field goal, playing their third string quarterback, a rookie seventh round pick for essentially the entire game. You're down your starting left tackle, you're starting right tackle, you're starting top cornerback, you're starting second cornerback, and like you said, obviously your top two quarterbacks as well. That's a lot of adversity to be faced going into game five. Now, in the NFL, they always say, you know, you can't necessarily make excuses. Everyone faces injuries, but the outlook on the season as a whole, you have to hope is still bright. Most of these injuries are not necessarily season-long injuries. Most of them, you'd like to think these guys are going to be able to come back at some point within the next couple of weeks to with Tungvaluwa's uh, concussion timeline, obviously notwithstanding that they're just going to have to see how he, uh, how he progresses through the protocols. But Davian Howard is not a season-long or season-ending injury. Toronto Armstead is something they're going to have to manage week to week. Byron Jones, you hope, will be able to come back at some point. So, uh, you know, it's not like the sky is falling in Miami. You're still 3-2 and two and very much uh, in play to be competitive going forward. And we're going to talk about this team a little bit in this game, but boy, San Francisco, I'm always ready to write them off. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I saw the stat. He's 35 and 15 over 50 games with a passer rating. The only one who is better than him is Bahones in his first 50 games. So as much as everybody doesn't want Jimmy G, and I think one of the reasons they said about Matt Rule being fired was because um, they did they wanted May Baker Mayfield over Jimmy G, and then Jimmy G comes in there this weekend in Carolina and wins that game. So what about the San Francisco? team it's pretty i mean really a good start for them absolutely i mean kyle shanahan as usual has this team ready to compete with the very best teams in the nfl obviously there was a rocky start there in chicago playing in a a monsoon of a game where they lost that opening week you come back you bounce back against seattle there was that again a rough outing in denver but it's been two impressive weeks for this team in a row, beating the Rams, beating the Carolina Panthers, obviously, who ended up firing that rule. Listen, Jimmy G knows that system. He knows that coaching staff. He knows that team. The team knows him, and there's a lot of familiarity there. Defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryan has that team, that defense playing at a very high level, even with the injuries that they've sustained. And so combine that with the fact that you have an offense with some great weapons and a quarterback who knows how to manage that game, that manage that team and those weapons, and that's a recipe for success. Garoppolo, uh, sure, like you said, has been much maligned for maybe not having the highest ceiling of some of the league's top quarterbacks, not the most 
athletically gifted, not the most, you know, when it comes to having these ex- explosive traits that you see like out of a Josh Allen or Mahomes. But with this team, he wins games, and that's a recipe for, for success in the NFL. We're talking about Mahomes. We have uh, tonight coming up in about a half an hour, 45 minutes, the Raiders at the Chiefs. I mean, th- these teams, it seems year after year, it matter- it's going to be exciting. Whatever's going to happen. I mean, one team might be up 30 to nothing. Car's going to come back or whatever. So I'm excited. Kansas City's favorite by seven. So what are you looking for tonight at Monday Night Football? Um, like you said, excited for this game. This rivalry always tends to provide us with exciting games, a lot of fun offense at play here, obviously. A lot of big names on offense, whether it be Travis Kelsey and Mahomes or whether it be Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, and uh, and Derek Carr over there in Vegas. This should be a very fun game filled with fireworks uh, that fans always love to see that, that type of football. So I'm expecting a high-scoring game here. I think it's also going to be a pretty close game. I know that the line might not necessarily say that, but I think it's going to be a relatively close game. Um, even though the Raiders are 1-3, this is a team that I think as the season moves along with its new coaching staff is going to start to gel more and more, and we're going to see them more and more competitive, even against tough teams. I'm still giving it to Kansas City, the way they've played, especially over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, I think this is the team that you got to take in this game. If you want me to throw out a score prediction, I know you didn't ask for one, but I'm going to give you one anyway. I'm going to say it's 30-27 to 27 for Kansas City <laughs> that the Chiefs end up pulling it out at the end of the game. Uh, I, I think this is going to be one of the week's most exciting games, so I'll certainly uh, have the popcorn ready. <laughs> and then next week, Buffalo's at Kansas City. The Bills are favored by one. It's, oh, yeah. the, people are talking about is the game of the year. Um, what are your prediction <laughs> for that game? Man, I think that that – I wouldn't be surprised if that breaks uh, tons of viewership records. Certainly a game of the year, a rematch of one of the most exciting playoff games, one of the most exciting games in NFL history that we saw, that Buffalo-Kansas City game with the 13 seconds. You all know how that went down. Uh, honestly, I'm just, I'm excited to have that on the TV. I don't even get to give you a score prediction for that one. I just, I'm hoping that we get as down to the wire of a matchup there with Mahomes and Allen going blow for blow as we did in the playoffs last year. And I certainly wouldn't be surprised if these two teams meet in the playoffs again this year. And uh, that will certainly be another matchup for the ages, as I'm sure it will be filled when we get to uh, the 2022 postseason. Justin, thank you so much. I know you're busy. Thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Good stuff there from Justin Heyer from Pro Football Network. You want to talk about Dallas? I think we kind of covered that one, but any comments on that? No, good. So my other game looking at it is like, well, Arizona. Like, can you please go out and beat Philly? Let the Giants pick up a game. And they could have done it at the end or at least tied it, but it wasn't to be. And Philadelphia, 5-0. and I'm starting to really like Jalen Hurts. I mean, he seems it's kind of hard not to, and he's in my division. But he's starting to win these close games. I mean, there's a point where the Eagles are winning these games. You're like, ah, I don't know what happened. The team is bad, but they find out he makes plays. He doesn't make stupid plays. I like how they're using Devontae Smith. Now, this is tough for fantasy owners, but there's some weeks that Devontae Smith, the star Alabama wide receiver, yeah. he gets like two catches for nothing, and then this week he had ten catches for 87. And then AJ Brown, their other star wide receiver, so you know he had three for 32. So he goes to whatever. If you're, you can't cover both. So whoever's not going to be covered, he's going to go to. So I think that's smart. He's able to run, extend the plays. Um, big win. I mean, I think they're 5-0, and oh, and, and I still am not sold on them. You know, we'll see. I mean, that's why next week's games are. You have the, the, the – that's the nightcap of the yeah. – but you got Buffalo at Kansas City, and then you have Dallas at Philly. So, boy, I mean, this next week is going to be for college football and for that. I mean, these are going to be great games, but especially that – four. remember, it's a 4 o'clock game. It's going to be a CBS mm-hmm. game at 4 o'clock and then at 8 30 on NBC Dallas. Dallas at Philly. So talking about some great games that we saw this weekend, I don't know what that was on Thursday night, Ira. I'd rather go watch high school JV squads than that. That game was just terrible. And it's I think it's time to start looking at Russell Wilson like this guy's not the same quarterback that we saw, you know, in, in years past. I, I think with both, look, Russell Wilson had two interceptions, six sacks. Russell Wilson, uh, Matt Ryan had two interceptions, six sacks. Russell Wilson had two interceptions, four sacks. Horrendous. I mean, it, it was. I have a statistics that was crazy in terms of how bad this was. I mean, there was seven, uh, 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 seven first downs, like a dozen punts, whatever. Twenty-five third down stops, four interceptions. I mean, it was one of the worst statistics. I mean, the fans. It went to overtime. Fans were leaving the game from Denver. Um, uh, Indianapolis ends up winning the game. 
game. Russell Wilson at the end of the game, no idea what he's doing when they could have kicked the field goal to extend it, throws in the interception, can't even at the end of the game, couldn't even throw the ball when they had a chance. Just mistake after mistake. And, and a couple of the other interceptions was terrible. Just like throw threw the ball up. I you, I don't care if your shoulders hurt or not. Really terrible but throws. Ryan was terrible too. I mean, both quarterbacks are Hall of Fame. Now we want to argue if Matt Ryan's a Hall of Fame quarterback or not. Yeah. But I mean, terrible, terrible on both. I mean, it's one of those games where you think that uh, Nathaniel Hackett, the coach of Denver, should be fired, and Frank Wright, the coach of Indianapolis, like like they said, the loser of this game is going to get fired. I said both coaches should be fired. It was terrible. Uh, yeah, I wonder what the record is for least games coached before getting fired because <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett might be testing that. Any comments you want to make on Baltimore Cincy? This game was last night, and maybe not the fireworks we were necessarily expecting, but still a good game. I felt, look, Cincinnati had a chance to win the game. They went on a 15-play, 73-yard drive, uh, eight minutes, and they were first and down on the two, and they, they burrowed through an incomplete pass. They ran a weird reverse. Um, it, it was just a mess in terms of what they happened, and they, it was, they didn't go on fourth down. The Ravens go down on a drive, and that's where they kicked the field goal. So they took the field goal, which they didn't do the week before, where they went for it, and then Cincinnati goes down, scores a touchdown, but leaves two minutes to go. Baltimore comes down, kicks the field goal, wins the game. My takeaway from the game was that Lamar Jackson had, like, four passes where his wide receivers were wide open, which he could not complete the pass. And I do not know what's the matter with Burrow. This is not Joe Burrow from the last year. He looks, there's something a matter with him. I mean, he's not as bad as the Russell Wilson situation, but he's missing wide receivers. He just seems, I mean, maybe it's the hits that he's getting in terms of his, his offensive line, but I, the Bengals at two and three, I, I'm just surprised. They have not, I thought after five games, I mean, I can understand the Steeler loss was crazy, but this was a battle. They don't look, not only are they losing, they just don't look good. Yeah, there was a high-powered offense last year with Chase, and it, you're not seeing it at all uh, on the field so far. Speaking of high-powered offense, going into this week, the top-scoring team in the NFC, Detroit Lions. I'm looking at my suicide pool. I were like, this could be a sneaky play. Take Detroit to beat the Patriots. And what do you know? They get blanked by Bailey Zappi. Well, the Patriots are 5-0 and under Belichick with quarterbacks drafted out of the first round in their first start. 5-0. and That Ooh, includes Tom Brady is one, yeah. Jimmy G is one, like all this. Uh, the rest of the NFL, he's 5-0, and is 30-80. and <laughs> So, <laughs> But Bailey Zappi was their quarterback. 17 for 20, 108 yards, one touchdown. Um, and they ran the ball. I mean, clearly a Patriot win, you know, running the ball, smart playing. But uh, Detroit, gosh, you know, they're 1-4. They play hard. And this is like a bad loss for them because you, that, they, they weren't in this game at all. Yeah, it looked like they were trending upwards, and then all of a sudden this happens. What do you think happens tonight? I, I'm with Justin. I, I think a lot of people will look at the, the you know, the one and three of Vegas and be like, this team has no chance. They played great games against the Chiefs last year. I'm looking forward to it tonight. Don't know if they're going to win, but I, get, I could see them covering without a doubt. Remember, I was at the Kansas City game against Tampa last week. They look like they're getting into form. I think Kansas City, I, and I see the line of Bills minus one at Kansas City next week. I think Kansas City wins tonight. And they win next week. This team is we, taking we, them to beat the Bills. I'm telling you what, I think people are saying there's no great team in the NFL. I'm starting. I really, I think they're lost. They lost in Indianapolis, which is crazy. But this isn't college football. You're allowed to have a bad loss. Yeah, allowed. I think this Kansas City team. I, this is a different Mahomes. I think they're. This is the. This is the Ferrari that finally has just made. You know, like <laughs> we're gonna talk Formula One. This is like this is the Matthew Verstappen. This car is getting going, and then he's Red Bull Honda. But the fact is, I like Kansas City. I think. They look like the favorite to go to the win the Super Bowl. So we talked about some games next week. Any other games we didn't touch on? No, really. Those those are the games that are huge. And how, we got to talk about Baltimore at the Giants. That's a big game for yeah. both teams. Three and two, four and one. This is a Giants like, okay, are you really for real? Like Giants win that game. That's oh, yeah. a statement. That's like, okay, we're really a real team. It's the same thing that happened with Miami. They won that game and all of a sudden there, it's like, okay, let's start watching. And then Minnesota's at Miami. Miami's favorite by three. I think people think two will be back. Otherwise, they won't be favorite by three because Minnesota's four and one. So that's another big game. And Kirk Cousins had his best game of the season. This, this and you can week. miss the Thursday game. Washington at Chicago. I mean, after the last <laughs> week's game, I don't think anyone's going to watch on Amazon Prime Washington at Chicago. I'll be catching up on the Dahmer show on Netflix instead of that <laughs> one. Draymond Green punches Jordan Poole. Some people say he might have knocked him out, he had, like temporarily unconscious. My biggest takeaway from this, though, Ira, is who was able to film this inside a practice and release this? That's what I'm really concerned and, about. And it's TMZ. Look, the fact is, is that when you see it, I, I think, look, there's been fights on sports all the time. But when these guys, when you're paying these players $25, $30 million, I think, look, Jordan, Draymond Green could have broke his fist on Jordan Poole's face. And he could have also broken Jordan Poole's face. So suddenly now you're going to miss two players. You're paying a lot of money. And if you're the Golden State Warriors, you're not. And Draymond Green was the one, you know, he was probably had troubles with Kevin Durant. Now they're the best friends, whatever. 
you don't want to see this. You don't want to see this come out. But also, look, they want to keep Jordan Poole. They want to keep Andrew Wiggins. They're, they're over the salary cap by so much. Draymond Green might not have a team next year, but this is ridiculous. I saw it. You know, you can have pushing and shoving, but it really doesn't get to the point where you just punch it. He, he, I'm, it's a, they're very lucky that Jordan Poole did not, has a broken jaw and Draymond Green doesn't broke his, fit, his fit, wrist or whatever. There's a lot of players coming out now, especially older players, saying this used to happen all the time at practice. Like, I don't think this happened all that much. But granted, a lot less camera phones around then. Let's talk a little golf. Social media is blowing up about Tom Kim. Well, I think, Patrick, this is the Vegas tournament PGA. Canelay shot a 60, almost had a 59 uh, on, what, Saturday? And then, like <laughs> yesterday, how about this? A triple bo- You have a chance to, to tie to go to playoffs. And you triple bogey the 18th hole. So for Tom, letting Tom Kim win that. Um, let's wrap it up with some racing. But I just kind of mentioned live a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Eugene Chikara wins in Thailand. People said this course was the nicest course they like. They compared it to Augusta. But remember how they said live is all these old golfers. This Eugene Chikara is 22 years old for Oklahoma State. He's the number two amateur in the world. And people who I was reading everything, I did not watch this, but I read everything. They're like, they cannot believe how well he played. Now he beat Patrick Reed by three strokes. But it's like, don't say live is just all these old golfers. Chikara is phenomenal. He's one of the best young golfers at 22. He looks. He. They said he looked. He's guy should be playing on the Ryder Cup, everything from Spain, all this, whatever stuff, but no one saw it. Hopefully they'll get a TV deal. But that was one thing about that. And that was what I said the issue was going to be. Young guys, do I want to go pay my way on the Corn Ferry Tour or go make millions of dollars he, right That's away? exactly what, I'm, I'm going to push this point. We're running for overtime. Corn Ferry, he would have had to play. This guy who was superstar, this is like making him play Corn Ferry. This is horrendous. I'm not even saying going college and basketball. It's like saying you have to play in a minor leagues as a baseball player that you can't, you're good enough to play in the major leagues. Ridiculous. Wrap it up at racing. For Stappen won his second title in Tokyo. I stayed up till three in the morning to watch this. <laughs> it was rain delayed, whatever. He won by 27 seconds. There's still four more races to go, and it's over. I mean, if the title's over. And in NASCAR, Christopher won. And now the final eight. Defending champion Kyle Larson crashed. was knocked out. I hate how NASCAR does their playoff things. It's terrible. But the weird thing is that in two weeks, it's going to be one of the four races in Homestead. So you see all these ads when you're down here. They're going to be racing in Homestead in Miami. So you could actually, you know what? They start the race at 2.30. The Miami Steeler game is at 8.30. They, they they should have started the race earlier so you could have both. Now, it's impossible to go from Homestead to Fort Lauderdale and watch the whole race. So, uh, Ira's got a big week on tap. Don't forget to follow him across social media at Ira on Sports. We're out of time, though. Thanks so much to Justin Heyer from Pro Football Network. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.